Okay, hey there everybody and welcome to The Game of Your Life, a podcast that celebrates video games and all things nostalgic. My guest this week is Adam Anwar, host of the Comedy Loft House in the northern area. Adam, how are you? How's, how's it going? Yeah, doing good, man. Besides uh, the lockdown, not too bad, mate. How are you? Dude, doing pretty good. I'm glad we finally got this thing going. <laughs> it is a This podcast is a work in progress and I expect lots of learning uh, computer stuff against my better judgment here. I'm looking forward to it, especially talking about a game from like my childhood. It's just, it's filling me with those nostalgic like feelings and tingly feelings. It's good. Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna pat myself on the back too much here, but I was sort of thinking about like because I was looking up stuff about this game, and I really like the name Game of Your Life because uh, it really brings like looking at this game and looking back at SmackDown Know Your Role, which is the one we'll be diving into later. It reminded me of where I was in my life as, as like when I was playing it and stuff like that. So it really does bring you back. Oh, 100%. I, I remember even, I mean, we'll get more into it later, but I even remember the first time I saw the SmackDown 1 game and, and obviously that late led into this one. So, oh, that's how near and dear. Like people say, where were you when 9-11 happened? Where were you when this happened? But I remember where I was when SmackDown <laughs> came out because that's far more important in my life. Yeah, when 9-11 happened, I was playing SmackDown, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so we, it's funny because I had a friend, when I told him we were doing SmackDown, he's like, wow, a wrestling one already? And I was like, look, man, if things go according to plan with this podcast, I'll probably do 20 wrestling video games <laughs> by the end of it. So yeah. why not start early? Um, but you are, you yourself are a big wrestling fan. You, you always have been or how long you've been watching wrestling? Yeah, man, a massive fan of wrestling since in my, in my mind, it's 1992. Right. Um, I remember the exact moment I very first saw wrestling and it was Doink the Clown versus Kamala. And it was, it was some random show. And I, I even remember the spot and the spot was Doink runs out of the ring. He runs under the ring. Kamala lifts the ring apron up and he's, he's looking underneath the ring apron like, where's Doink gone? Doink's crawled all the way through the other side, now ran back around, sees Kamala bent over, kicks him in the arse and then gets back on with the wrestling. And that was my very first seeing wrestling. I was four years old and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I need to see more of it. Yeah, I was just about to ask because like with video games and wrestling and all, all really all nostalgia, it depends on what age you are. So what year were you born again? 88. 88. Okay, so that's two years before me. So I, I guess most of our references will be pretty fall in line together. Yeah, definitely, man. And you're completely right, especially those formative years as well when you, you're kind of figuring out the world and it, it kind of... It goes hand in hand with what what you're experiencing. I remember the first time I saw wrestling, because my grandpa and my dad were big fans. Oh, yeah. Did you have that? Were any of your family, did they sort of usher you in, or did you just find it on your own? It's weird because no one was actively a wrestling fan by the time I was around, but like in recent years, my mum has said, like, oh, me and your granddad used to go to like the British wrestling that used to be on in the local town halls and stuff. Like, she, oh, sick. She'd be like, yeah, we used to go, because... But I, I kind of think, think like they didn't go because they were wrestling fans. I kind of feel like they went because one, it was probably cheap, and two, there wasn't much to do in those days. Like in the seventies in Bolton, England, like there's probably nothing to do. So when wrestling comes to town, it's probably one of the only things that ever does come to town, and it's a good thing for like a father and daughter to just go and enjoy it and like boo the bad guys and all that. Yeah, what a wild scene that must have been, man. I'm just imagining like a bunch of drunks in a smoke-filled auditorium, but that's awesome. 
Um, I, I remember watching, like I was saying, with my grandpa and dad, and it was, uh, I, th- I want to say a SummerSlam with Bret Hart and Taker in the main event. Okay. And my grandpa and, da- and dad were just getting, like, progressively drunker throughout the pay-per-view. Right. And me and, my, me and my cousin are watching, I think I was four or five, and he was a year younger. And by the end of the pay-per-view, we're so full of energy, and our uncle and, or sorry, my dad and grandpa were so drunk, they're like, you kids should be trying this stuff. <laughs> and flash forward like two hours and my cousin had like clotheslined me down a staircase and i had like a broken collarbone oh no and i just <laughs> i just remember the one thing i remember is being like taken out of the house to the hospital and i could just see the women in my family like reaming out my dad and grandpa for like what were you thinking yeah for encouraging you to beat each other up but i wish i had a really cool story like that but my like wrestling stories from like actually wrestling wrestling my friends as children they're all so mundane like the height of it was just falling on the floor and maybe getting a bloody nose in a in a in a sandbox or something like that yeah i have no serious injuries because i would always just like i remember once my friends and i were fake wrestling and i got him to set up a ladder and i let him irish whip me into it Jeez. and i took it like a wrestler would like i left my foot and put my weight into the ladder yeah and it was just like it ruined like my week like i couldn't walk around and shit it was like <laughs> awful there was no wanting to jump off buildings or ladders after that i was like fuck this like the basic stuff sucks yeah definitely but were, were you allowed to like wrestling in your high school or in middle school like what was the attitude? Because in my schooling days, it was very lame. And like you would, you were sort of like, not bullied, but you were almost like a pariah of lameness if you were a wrestling fan. So like my first memories of wrestling in school and like social interaction wise was like about five years old when I was in like my, like what they call year one in the UK. And everyone had the stickers. And I remember like, not everyone had the stickers, but a few people had the stickers and the cool lads in the class had the stickers. I remember like swapping them with them. And and what, this must be like about 92, 93. That's super young then. Yeah, it must be 93. Yeah, so super young. So we're all enjoying it at that age. When you were five, you could enjoy stuff shamelessly. Yeah. And no one was trying to be cool yet. So you could just get away with liking whatever you actually like. That's it. And like as the the next few years rolled on, the, the coolest lad in my class, he was like still a fan of wrestling. I don't know if he was a closet fan of wrestling or not. But it kind of gave me the comf- comfortability to like kind of talk about it, and like I always knew I could talk to him about it, but, and because he was the coolest lad in class, and I, I never felt like a, a social awkwardness. But then when I got like in the UK, we go to high school at age eleven. Oh damn! And then yeah, it, it did become like very different. So even though we're kind of in the middle of the attitude era, we're talking ninety nine when I when I went to high school, like it was uncool at that point. But I, I still remember to this day the morning after wrestlemania 17 so like this would have been in my, my third year to in year nine yeah like walking into school and I, I see this lad chris and like i say he's still one of the coolest guys in the year group and i said like oh did you watch wrestlemania last night he's like yeah yeah and then he tells me exactly what happens you know mcmahon turned on the rock and sided with austin and i'm like in the playground like what like this is like <laughs> quarter to nine in the morning so i can't even go home to watch it till like till like four o'clock and i'm like what what are you talking what has gone on like i could not process it in my were you pissed did did he spoil it for you or were you like just great you were just hearing the news was still great just hearing the news was still great because in those days i didn't really mind like now i'm really sensitive to spoilers if you say a guy's name the morning after the royal rumble straight away i'm like well he won didn't he well you've mentioned christian now so i know christian's won like in my mind i, I just cannot unlink it but 
as a kid, absolutely like you could tell me anything and I couldn't wait to go and watch it. Yeah, same. I still have memories and I, I love that being young enough where it, we'd we'd have the pay-per-view channels. Although you pretty probably didn't have this because pay-per-views were free in the UK. But in Canada, you would have the channel and if, only if you paid for it could you actually watch it. But if you didn't pay for it, it was just scramble vision and you could just hear the audio. So I'd be watching the pay-per-views and just listening to like Jim Ross like explain the match and what's going on. Yeah. My only experience of that is obviously watching um, American Pie and he's watching the I- I- illegal channels. Oh, and, right. Like, <laughs> you, you can see it's all like scrambled, but you can still hear it because in the UK we had a system. It came in about 2004-ish, the pay-per-view system like in terms of wrestling. And what they would do is they would show the first 15 minutes for free and then it would just go completely blank. The screen would be black or like blue and it would say like, oh, call your local cable channel to unlock the rest of this show or whatever. That's a hilarious way to entice you. Yeah, definitely. It's like a tease. I still remember being at like my uncle's house one day and it was even on replay and it was Ric Flair and Batista against the Dudley boys for the tag team titles. And even though it was on a replay, I was still like, oh, I need to see the rest of this show. But like, yeah, that's the, the power of advertising on a young mind, I suppose. Yeah, man. And then fast forward a few years, and I know we both were at WrestleMania 30, which is awesome. But you've been to a few WrestleManias, right? Yeah, 30 was the first one that I went to. And I remember it was such a big deal in my life. Like, I remember I remember finishing university, not having a job around the time of WrestleMania 27. And I wrote, like, on a piece of paper, on a, on a post-it note, WM28. So no one else in the office could see what this meant it was just like two letters and two numbers but to me i knew this was wrestlemania 28 written on this thing and i had that there because in my mind i wanted to go to 20 it was 28 or 29 i wanted to go to that mania i didn't end up making it but then when i had the money the year after at 30 i had to go and like go into like one going to america for the first time leaving europe well i've been to asia but like leaving Going on holiday by myself with my friends for the first time properly it was like a proper, proper life experience for me, even outside of the great wrestling. Yeah, that's the thing. The travel is such an interesting part. Like for me and my friend, we'd always wanted to go, but we literally were like, mm. I remember a week before they announced the city, we were like, if it's in a good city this year, we'll go. Yeah. And then a week later, it was like, it's happening in New Orleans. And we were like, that might be the coolest city you could have picked in America. So yeah definitely gonna go to that well, that's the thing like, i i notice a lot of people saying that like from north america like oh it depends on what city it is but like when you're from the uk it could be like in the worst city in like connecticut for all i care like i'm still i still want to go and it's so like exotic and like luxurious to me like oh my god i'm i'm in maine or i'm in somewhere crappy do you know what i mean that's interesting because i i like that about the states actually like different states do feel like different countries almost like New Orleans has no similarities to like Seattle from when <laughs> and I've been to both, you know. Yeah. But you're right. Like the idea of just if it was in like Wyoming, I'd probably be like, well, that's an interesting enough place. There must be things to do there like pre-pandemic, I mean. So why not just yeah, like go to watch a wrestling show and whatever else happens just happens. Mm, definitely. Were you uh did you party hard when you were in New Orleans cuz I went I went fucking crazy. I like shortened my life in that week. Yeah, so so I don't drink, but like I was out every night, and I was uh I was sampling the delights of the local area. Right, <laughs> that's without a funny go- way to put it. Without going into too much detail. Yeah, dude, I remember at one point my buddy and I were in a bar, and 
we it was the night after mania so we were just so loaded yeah and i I remember the whole goal was like don't get too drunk before wrestlemania because not remembering wrestlemania would be so stupid yeah and so so then almost like as a reaction to that you get twice as hammered afterwards Mm -hmm. and i remember just looking at my buddy and being like dude we gotta get out of here it's probably like 3 a.m already and he looked at me and he's like it's 6 30 in the morning right now dude (laughs) and i realized just these bars do not close like the party never stops there's no reason to leave until your body just like turns against you it wasn't it like that was a kind of a part of the the cultural experience for me like some like some people who are from like america will be like how can you call new orleans a cultural experience like it's trashy it's this like i don't see it like that whatsoever i really saw it as a cultural experience going somewhere new going somewhere so different and exciting and not even realizing how different it is from the rest of america at the time i was just like wow i can't believe america's like this there's a there's a street where you can just go from bar to bar and everyone's taking the drinks all over the place and not just that Randy Orton, who's the world champion at the time, like walked past me in the street, and I was like, "Like, how? How is this life? Like, this is crazy to me that I am in the same like town as Randy Orton. Never mind, like, I wish we're breathing the same air right now. It was ridiculous and like proper exciting as well for like a, a well, I, I wasn't even that young. I was probably about twenty six, but like a proper naive mark at the time." Yeah, man, that's what's so interesting about it. And it's tough to explain to a non-wrestling fan. In fact, I'm sure this whole pod might be tough to explain uh, if you're not a wrestling fan. But just the idea of, like like I said, when I was in high school, it was a super shunned thing. Like, I remember I, I would know other guys are wrestling fans and they would know I am. And we just wouldn't talk about it just because you didn't. It wasn't like a thing you would talk about, you know. And yeah. To go from that to, like, be able to travel to this city in a part of the world I'd never been. And I remember when my buddy and I showed up at the airport, we were like, let's play a game. The first one to point out, like, three or five wrestling shirts or whatever. Mm. has to buy the other one a beer. And, like, we turned the first corner in the northern quarter, and it was just, like, yeah. 50 wrestling t-shirts. Like, everybody was there for wrestling. Yes. And, like you said, I had one experience, too. We were in a bar, and it was just packed, and everyone was chilling. And you heard this commotion, like, outside the door. Yeah. It gets getting louder, louder, louder. All of a sudden, the door just gets kicked, literally kicked open. And Alberto Del Rio comes in doing, like, (laughs) his full Del Rio shtick. Like, shaking his hands, playing the character. And he's, like, obviously trashed. Yeah. And he walks up to this guy and just grabs the drink out of his hand. It was, like, this giant hurricane. Yeah. And just chugged it. Like, chugged it in front of this whole bar. It was just watching him. And everyone just popped like he just won a match like it was oh my god and like i'm just like dude where are we that that just happened and it was like the best thing ever i remember being in a in a karaoke bar and i don't know why i gravitated to the karaoke bar but i just thought oh, it's, it's something a bit more like interesting than a regular bar and we went there and over the course of the night like there must have been about eight wrestlers that no way more than that i, I probably spoke to about eight wrestlers in there but like there, there was like so many that just like wandered in and i was like i can't tommy dreamer was one of them and he was like really really nice and like posted a picture and stuff with me and like i just was like i can't believe i'm in a like i'm in a bar talking to tommy dreamer like what like it just it just it still doesn't compute to me now that like that's a real life experience that i had yeah, and I mean, I felt this a lot just throughout the lockdown, and I, I try not to talk about it too much because uh, it's just a bummer, but, like, I'm so glad we got those experiences out in our 20s when we could because, like, who knows when 
you'll have an experience like a community coming together like that in just a random city in the world definitely a community is the exact right way to talk about it and like in in a weird way it's like being gay in the 80s like you know how like <laughs> you, you 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 try to find other people like you and let's say you're from a small town and there's no gay bar there and then you finally go to like a big city and there's a gay bar and everyone in there is just like you that's that's the kind of the same vibe i get like with going to wrestlemania and like you said you just turned the corner and everyone was wearing a wrestling t-shirt it was literally like that it was like I don't know. And, uh, yeah, your stone, your stone cold Steve Austin shirt is your pride flag that you proudly wore. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And like the more, <laughs> the more, um, what's it called? The more a unique of a t-shirt you're wearing, the more um, of a hot prospect you are. And everyone's like, "Oh, great t-shirt, man!" Because like you're wearing the one that nobody else has. But everyone who's got the Dolph Ziggler t-shirt, like, "Oh, well, I saw forty of them this week. I don't need to see more of them." <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, hey, I should get into video games a bit here uh, before we take our, our first break. But um, I, I meant to ask you, like, do you even consider yourself a big gamer right now? Or, like, uh, do you play games very often? If I'm being truthful, I'm a big gamer, but I'm not a traditional gamer in the sense that, like, all if there's a, a new game coming out that all the gamers are, are loving, like, for example, when Cyberpunk was coming out and everyone was really excited for it, that's just, it's just not my kind of game, and I completely respect everyone who does enjoy those kind of games, because, I mean, that's what the majority of gamers are, but I'm a lot more of a, a basic guy when it comes to gaming. I like sports games, I like wrestling games, mm-hmm. and car racing, just very, very simple caveman, I beat you, you beat me, we know where we, we stand. So You'd probably uh, identify as like a casual fan leaning towards sports games, then I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. I can, you know, I can spend seventy, ninety hours a week playing computer games. It just wouldn't be like the kind of a more in-depth story kind of games that are like probably more value for money than like a regular sports game where you're just playing the same thing over and over again. Right. That's interesting, man. Especially with like uh, the rise of roguelike games coming out soon, because. Have you put? Do you have you ever played a roguelike sort of game? Uh, no, don't think so. It's basically just the same idea. You're doing the exact same run over and over, and most of them eventually you have to get to the point where you just get better at the game, or you can't beat it. Yeah, and it's not that different from just like a sports game. It is like the same simulation over and over. So, I do you know what it is? It's it's the fact that I'm really I'm a I'm a bad loser and I'm really impatient. So if I'm on a game. And like for example, I've got I've got GTA three on my PlayStation and I'm stuck on a level and I've must have played it thirty, forty a uh, mission, sorry, and I'm i I've done it thirty, forty times this mission and I can't beat it. And every time I think I'm gonna play that, I play that mission two or three times and I just wanna throw my controller through the window. I'm like, no, the game should just realize I'm an imbecile and cannot possibly pass it and just be like, listen, we're going to play you a video of what you should do and then let you go on to the next thing. And because it doesn't do that, I'm like, ah, I can't do it. I just have to just turn it off and hope for the best that, that I'll do it next time and I never do. I totally appreciate that. But I also, I've also been offended by games because sometimes if you just try the same thing over and over, games will be like, hey, buddy, do you just want to skip this part? Because yeah. it's obviously not going well for you. And then I'll be like, fuck you, game. I'll beat <laughs> yeah. this twice if I have to. See, I I, I need that. But yes, yeah, so I guess like for more people who are really into those games, like like most gamers, like that's offensive. Right. Yeah, it's weird. It's a, definitely an area where people can be snobby if they want to. Uh, what was your What was your peak in gaming then? What like 
Was it around 2000 when this game came out? Or, like, when were you playing the most games? When when, when was it biggest in your life? I was probably playing the most games, legitimately, yeah, around 2000. Because I, I remember those summer holidays around 2000, 2001, I would literally be in my house playing PlayStation. I would leave the house and then with my Game Boy and Pokemon and go and play Game Boy and Pokemon with my friends outside. Like, you know how modern, like, everyone looks at kids now and goes, oh... These assholes, they're on a screen all the time. They're not living life. That was me in summer 2000 and 2001. My, my, my face was in a screen, like, basically 24-7. So I was playing pretty much non-stop. No kind of real life, no real life experiences in those summers. Just head down, look at the Game Boy, maybe play a little football. But then as soon as that's over, get the Game Boy back on. But I, always, I always resented that, too. Because, like, obviously you should go out just so you have vitamin d and shit but like mm. a lot of my favorite memories from childhood are these video games you know and like you could do them with friends and like you could learn shit so like the the stigma around the time it just felt a lot of it felt like uh people from the generation before being like well why would you do that and like i i don't know i i don't think it's like devoid of value the same way it was sort of presented back then no to be completely honest with you like the more i get older the more i see there is real value in gaming because especially the kind of games that we were speaking of just a couple of minutes ago where you're trying the mission over and over again and then you eventually overcome it that's a great life lesson that even though you come against something and that you're struggling with it if you keep at it you will get better at it and then you can overcome and you can succeed in life Whereas I'm the complete opposite. I, I came across the challenge and was like, ah, I give up. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I need a shortcut. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, just talking about the games here, I figure we should just get right into it here. So uh, let's take a break and kick it off and we'll get into the game of your life in just a sec here. Okay. Smackdown. Know your role. Developed by Ukes. Released by THQ. In North America, it was November 21st, 2000. In Europe, December 1st, 2000. Uh, this game sold 3.2 million copies and is the highest-selling highest PlayStation sports game on the PS1. And it would be the last wrestling game on the PS1 before they would move to PS2. And, uh, yeah, that's the basic info of the game. Here's, we, what, here's a weird one, and I actually tried looking up why like for a reason earlier but did you know that no mercy came out like four days before this in november 17th 2000 on the nintendo 64 thq released no mercy on the n64 does that like surprise you at all or what do you think about that yeah it is weird isn't it because you kind of think like why didn't they do like just one game across both platforms maybe just make smackdown 2 on both but i don't know like maybe there must be some reason behind yeah, it yeah it makes me wonder of like maybe because nintendo and sony just weren't working together at the time you they they didn't allow you to release the same game on both properties or i don't know i i mean we'd only be guessing at this point but it feels like for some reason in my head i i would have guessed no mercy came out years earlier um because i i remember playing no mercy a bunch and then i took a break and then smackdown 2 came but that must have just been the time i got my hands on it uh do you do you remember when's the first time you played this game the vivid memory is more of smackdown 1 but smackdown 2 obviously was like a much better game and like much more of a seminal piece of my childhood but i remember going to my friend alan's house now i didn't have a super uh, sorry an n64 i just had the playstation 1 but he had the n64 his brother had the n64 and he had the playstation and i remember going over and then he had like a, a little pirate copy of 
SmackDown one on this little TV that they used to have in the kitchen for like his mum to what like use when she was like cooking or whatever. So and he invited me around and he just has this game SmackDown on the PlayStation and I'm like absolutely like dumbfounded that there's this great looking game on his TV and it's on the PlayStation. I'm like, what is this? It was a complete mind blower. And then SmackDown 2, once we, like, because I didn't know SmackDown 1 was even coming. I had no idea about it. This is like, go, walking into his kitchen was finding out about it and seeing it for the first time all in one. When SmackDown 2 came out, we had a bit more of a run-up for that one. We kind of knew that a number two was coming out. Sorry to interrupt there, but I was just going to say, like, I love when you didn't know a game was coming or didn't expect it to come out, and then you just see a mate playing it or just see it, like on the shelf you're like what the hell I've, I've had that a few times and it's a great experience in gaming yeah honestly like the feeling of just going into his ha- like i remember still vividly walking into his kitchen seeing it on that little tv and just being like wow like just it's just something being dropped into your world that you didn't know what was going to happen and especially when the game was awesome as well like because like i said i never had the n64 I didn't have all these great wrestling games, and this, to me, was like the first great wrestling game I really played. Yeah, it's tough. I find it impossible to talk about a game without talking about the contemporaries from the time. And I was a big fan of the N64 version, or No Mercy, but more for their, I guess you'd call it season mode or storyline mode. Because I thought No Mercy's was fantastic. I think it's a really good system they could, yeah. they could use on a video game today, and it would work perfectly. But... In just about every other regard, I thought uh, Know Your Role specifically uh, trumped No Mercy. I, I thought the action was way quicker. It was more like arcade style. Uh, it seemed smoother. You could do way more. There were more match types. There were more places to go backstage. Like the backstage area is like a shining light for this game with the amount of shit you could do and places you could go. Yeah, I remember absolutely loving that. And again, around the same time, was a WCW game, I think it might have been called Mayhem, and I remember on that one you could throw people backstage, but it was a lot more clunky, you couldn't really do that much backstage, from my recollection anyway. But this one, you could, like, I think, hit them with, uh, like, gurneys and stuff like that. Wasn't there one, there was one, like, I think it was called Backstage Assault, or it might have been Mayhem, but it was a game where, like, there was no ring. Like, you could only... Backstage Assault. Like, every fight started in the backstage, and that's where every every match was set. Yeah, and to this day, I've still never played it. I kind of do really want to play it, because I was a huge WCW fan, even more so than WWF, so... Yeah. Oh, wow, I liked both, uh, almost evenly, up until... WCW just started getting so horrible. Um, but that that's an interesting thing about these games, too, uh, is, like, the games are greatly benefited by the year they came out in. Uh, not only with the roster, but the season mode would take from storylines that were happening on the TV. The, the whole product felt hotter. Your match types were better. It's all directly related to how well the company was doing at the time. Yeah, and obviously it goes without saying that, like, that t- at that time... I mean, obviously, WCW was tailing off, but WWF were just going to another level in terms of audience popularity and pushing the envelope. It was just such a great time for wrestling, and these games are a true reflection of that. Yeah, I love that, because I feel right now the games that come out year to year are so cookie-cutter and just, like, uh, there's no risk. There's no, like, originality. There's nothing new. 
back with this game, it's with Know Your Role specifically, they took so many big swings, and I don't think they all worked per se, but I mean, I'm just glad to see them take the shots to begin with, because it did set a lot of the precedent for the the franchise moving forward. I remember one little thing that they put into the game that to me made such a huge difference was like, well, they put it in with SmackDown 1, but being able to defend the titles and then the title would then be on another person, but then in SmackDown 1, there was no like graphic that would show the wrestler with the title like walking to the ring or whatever, but they put that into SmackDown 2 and I was like, wow, I can put the title on whoever I want and the game will remember who the champion is. It's not like... Undertaker now loses to Kane and now when I switch my computer back on it's just going to still be Undertaker champion even though he lost the game will remember it's Kane and I can kind of build my own like my own federation my own wrestling federation like within this game yeah that's an interesting point you bring up because I think one of the biggest strengths of this whole game is how they completely redid the create a wrestler version um when in, I remember in Smackdown 1 it was just maybe 10% of what they did in SmackDown 2. And No Mercy really had no create a character to speak of. You could just sort of edit characters, and that was the best they had. So the depth they go into and create a wrestler, like, insofar as, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the first game you can change dimensions on the face and body. You can, like, uh, take preset wrestlers and edit those and all that good shit, as well as, like, they even had personality traits. Like, you could pick fan favorite. Yeah, you, you could. could pick, like, the fans think he's a piece of yeah, shit. Yeah, I forgot about that. Now you're saying it, it all rings a bell. And I remember that friend, Alan, he he would, for some reason, make minis. So he would make, like, mini Kane and mini Undertaker. And he would just have a fed of the mini. Even though it's the exact same as having the regular size ones, only smaller on screen. <laughs> that was, like, his thing that he loved doing. And I remember, I don't, that's just come to my mind now. That's hilarious. I, I would always make the wrestlers from other companies that weren't in the game. Yes. And TH, THQ, the cheeky buggers, literally, like, put in movesets from wrestlers not in the fed or from WCW, as well as, like, even attire that looked the same and shit. Like, I'm surprised they actually got away with it. And it's especially at that time as well, you've got the Monday Night Wars. At no other time in history have you ever wanted to, like, cross-promote and, like, have all the wrestlers in one place. That is the perfect time. Well, maybe 98 was, but like, still 2000 is a great time to have Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and Hulk Hogan coming up against you know rock austin undertaker yeah and i mean it began happening in real life not long after this but i think it also just created this whole online i i guess i'd use the word community again but like i don't know if you were doing this but uh it got to the point where i would look online for creator wrestler formulas and they have forums just filled with like people's creations that they'd like uploaded. Do you know what? Yeah, yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Where yeah, you could find like they would have the exact dimensions. Turn this to 62. Turn that to 75. Mm-hmm. And it would and it would be like a perfect like Juventud Guerrera. Like yeah, this wrestler looks exactly like him. I remember I never did it back in the day, but I did it maybe on like WWE 2K16 or something like that. But by then, you could just download the wrestlers. So like mm-hmm. that was that was a great function in the modern games. But yeah, that was a pretty brilliant addition. So for all the great things we've said about this game, the things that sort of people remember in the negative are the. Do you remember the loading times on this thing? Oh mate, honestly, I didn't even. I have no memory of loading screens on any other game in my life besides this one. And it would just be that, like, kind of card 
on the screen and have like Billy Gunn with his hands on his hips and like a blue like wash behind him or something and maybe his autograph on there. <laughs> and the amount of times I'd look at Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley just staring back at me and then the one time you just hope, please give me like ivory or someone like that so I can not have to look at Bubba Ray. <laughs> yeah, dude. When I was a kid, those uh, diva loading screens were a big deal. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm... I sometimes I'm a very impatient guy with video games, but like that, when I would just be sat there looking at these cards for, it felt like, because you would play this game for hours on end, you wouldn't just play this for 20 minutes, you'd be playing this for about 8 hours. Oh yeah. And I'm guessing out of those 8 hours, at least 45 minutes was spent looking at these loading screens. It was awful for that. Oh, probably more, dude. And I mean, the season mode, I thought it was really cutting edge, the way they added vignettes and shit, like seeing a wrestler come to the come to the arena in the back like they would do on tv is awesome yeah but for that 10 second maybe vignette you would literally have a good 60 seconds before and after of loading and it's like well why this vignette isn't worth the two and a half minutes of loading oh yeah do you know what i've got vivid memories now of you saying when you say that of like being absolutely fuming with the game that they'd just put one of those 10 second little clips in there and I'd be like, no, what are you, why are you doing this to me? I don't, we've just wasted my time. Let me get to the wrestling because you've just put in all this loading screen for the sake of that 10 second, 15 second clip of hardcore Holly in the back with his hands on his hips like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do about tonight's <laughs> match. Yeah, and on top of that, like I would, I remember manually turning off entrances and the options mm-hmm. because each entrance would get like a full loading screen before and after every person yeah i think isn't. that i think that was the first time i ever did it as well like i thought no i can't have these entrances anymore yeah i wonder if like they just bit off more than they could chew with the what the system could handle because uh i remember a year after this and this is so crazy to me too like this game smackdown one came out in one year before this game and uh just bring it the first ps2 wrestling game would only come out a year after this yeah so like i want and i imagine i didn't play uh just bring it because i didn't have a ps2 at the time and by the time i did have a ps2 here comes the pain had already come out and there was i mean that's still maybe the gold standard of the whole smackdown franchise so i had no reason to go back and play just bring it yeah i've got very very limited memories of those because like i never had what well, after the playstation one i didn't have anything until about five years that later which it Five years isn't a long time, but it, it felt like an eternity of not having the modern console when everyone else had it. But I remember going to friends' houses and playing those games, and yeah, they were they were definitely a step up. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Um, but I I do think these games hold up. I loved the the new matches they added in this one specifically. I think it might be the only game with a casket match. Did you do you remember that? I do. It was quite a horrible mode, though, to be fair. But I mean, <laughs> if we're talking about the good matches that they added into it. Hell in a Cell, ladder matches, oh. mate. Oh, unbelievable for young Adam to be able to play Hell in a Cell. Put a title in there as well, overbook it to hell, but still. Yeah, that was a big deal. We're talking dream stuff. Even though, if you remember, the Hell in the Cell, it goes around the ring like a steel cage would, but just happens. it just happens to have a roof on top, which I think is like... It does, yeah. Again, it gives me a sign that like... Maybe the developers couldn't pull off all the shit they were thinking of for this game. Yeah. So they did what they could, but um, it was still big time. I, even though it didn't look like a Hell in a Cell, I remember it feeling like a big deal. Do you know what it feels like a little bit? It feels like a cash grab, but in a good way. Like, Because I think it was only about 
eight or nine months before that SmackDown 1 came out, mm-hmm. we know that the PS2 is on the horizon. And maybe this is why this game comes out around the same time as No Mercy, because maybe they were just like, listen, let's just pump another one out. Like, this one sold so well. Because they made great improvements, don't get me wrong. It's not like they phoned this one in. They, by putting the Hell in the Cell and like the ladder match and all those title things and stuff like that, this was a true step up. But I think they were just like, yeah. come on, let's get it out. It's interesting because if it came out today in this day and age, that might just be like a patch. Like, yeah, they might just add in like or or an, even like additional content. Like for five bucks, you can get five different match types or whatever. But this was like a whole different game release. And you're right. It's completely like a cat because they're milking a cash cow. Like everything wrestling was selling so high at this point. Like you'd be almost silly not to put out the amount of games they did at the time. Definitely. And I can only imagine that every kid was playing it as well. As much as every kid wasn't really talking about it in school, I can only imagine that every kid was playing it and like going home and like mashing up SmackDown 2 because... It was just so good. Well, that is the weird thing about... I mean, not the weird thing. It shows how dumb kids are. But, like, if you were watching wrestling on TV, that was super lame. But if you, like, everyone was still playing the same video games with all the same characters. So it's like, all right, I guess... Yeah. We're just being not honest about what we like or don't like. It's a kind of... The game is kind of a gateway as well. Because I've actually spoken to people in the past who have been like, oh, yeah, I got into wrestling because I played the game at a cousin's house and it was awesome. So then I got the game and then I was like, oh, I've seen it on TV now. And so it's kind of interesting how this became... Even though this is a byproduct of the main product, it became a way to feed into it. That is interesting, yeah. And WWE's always been really good at that. There's multiple different projects they have all over the place that might like bring in new fans. Um, but I think, yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it too. What do you think this game's legacy is? Because uh, for me, it's definitely not the best SmackDown game, but I think it introduced so many things that like we still see in wrestling games today that it's important can't really be overstated. I think for the legacy, the legacy of this game depends on how you experienced it, and if you experienced it as a child like we were, then I mean, but again, if you had the N sixty four, it'd be different. But because like my, I can only speak from my experience of how revolutionary this game was to me because I'd not really played the N64 games. I knew they existed. I knew they were apparently good. But because I hadn't spent that time on the ground playing it, it didn't have the, the same effects on me. Whereas when this came out, being able to play this on the PlayStation and being able to play the Hell in the Cell matches and throw people through the roof. I remember <laughs> my friends talking about that like it was a, a new story, like we would talk about... The restrictions being lifted today, we were taught, oh my god, do you know that on this game you can throw people through the roof of Hell in the Cell? It was a big deal, it was a huge deal. You could play a ladder match. The ladder match had been around for six years at this point, which is an eternity when you're only 12 years old. It's been around for half my life, but this is the first time I could put two wrestlers in the ring, put a title above the ring and, and, and fight it out, Jericho versus Angle or something like that. Yeah, you're so you're so right about that, where it did feel like, because we're kids, this is such a big deal. It's like, this is new. So like, yeah, you're like, wrestling games are different now. <laughs> there is a, a new way. And it, it really felt like, because, I mean, let's be honest, when you're 12, there's nothing really in your life. You, you don't have bills to worry about, family really. You just have your parents and you probably don't even care about them that much when you're 12. You care about the things that you like. So in my case, it was caring about football, Pokemon and wrestling. And this was huge a revolution to me that, oh my God, there's this game. And like, I'll, I, I listen to a lot of the Zack Ryder podcast where he talks about um, 
like having wrestling figures and having a fig fed and he used to live out his wrestling dreams by playing with his figures that was me but with the wrestling game and like being able to live out multiple storylines because you could now have the hell in the cell and the casket matches like we said yeah i for sure was doing similar stuff as a kid and and you're right i mean like like i like you were saying the age you are when these games came out like because if you were to tell someone i i don't even know if this game would be worth playing right now today it maybe if they did an updated version where they cleaned up the loading screens and whatnot. Yeah. But if you were if you were looking for this nostalgia fix, you might pick a Here Comes the Pain or a more polished version. But when you were alive at the time this came out, like you said, revolutionary is the only word that comes to mind. It changed everything at the time and was like impossible to put down. And that that's exactly what you want as well when you're a kid, like, and especially a kid of our generation where these home consoles they're widely available every i mean i grew up poor and even i had a playstation so everyone must have had a playstation do you know what i mean and to have a a a thing that you love so much in pro wrestling being put in front of you and, and you're basically given control now listen you're in control of wwe via this game you can do whatever you want yeah and your your action figures comparison is a good one because like your imagination really can run wild i remember creating my own characters and i wouldn't even play the season motor storyline given to you you'd sort of make your own storylines in your head and like do your own matches and shit like that and yeah like i said the creator wrestler was so open to that and it's almost like that's what they wanted to it's it's close to like a role-playing game in a sense as close as a sports game can get anyways. It even had... So, okay, if we talk about legacy, to so just roll it back to that question. The legacy it has on me is that even to this day, I've got on my shelf there WWE 2K19 because it's the last game that you could download um, wrestlers on. I think maybe you could do it on 20, but like because 20 was a bit fudgy and a lot of bugs, this they kept the community creations open on WWE 2K19. So I... As soon as I got that game, the first thing I did was I downloaded all the rest of some 2001. I downloaded WCW, WWF, ECW, and I wanted to relive this era and have those kind of matches, but I don't have the same imagination I did when I was a kid, so maybe I put the controller down after 45 minutes, an hour and a half now, whereas as a kid, I could just sit there for eight hours and be like, right, I'm going to just create these storylines in my head and really live out this, like, my own weird dream. Yeah, it's funny you say that, because it goes back to what I was saying of, like, the period in wrestling helps this game so much. Like, I can see now as a 20-year-old, I would be fine if they if WWE released a wrestling video game that took place in 1999, you know? Oh, mate. Like, all the, all the aesthetic and the roster and just everything you could do with that. Can you, can you imagine if they released, like, let's say WWE 2K22, and they say, right, there's going to be a £20 patch that you can download, and this is the, the 1998 patch, and you get all the sets you get all the rest like three rosters full of wrestlers or whatever i would pay that extra because i'm not a dlc buy i've never bought anything like downloadable content but i would buy that because even though that's basically buying the extra game on top but that'd be so valuable to me that i would do it yeah dlc has always felt like sort of a ripoff to me or, or the idea of like so you sold me 80% of a game and now a year later you're like oh do you want the other 20% of that game well yeah because it's gonna cost you i'm like we already made a transaction <laughs> like you owe me that game but it, it is like with a game that can just live sort of permanently like like a wrestling game can it sort of does make more sense if it's like 
do you want this pack of whatever? But I've never seen them do era packs or like from different because you could do that. You could do eighty five. You could do nineteen ninety seven. You could do. 2005 or whatever horse I, I love these fantasy scenario type, type things and being able to play these like fantasy kind of things back through on the games and like i say even though i don't have the same imagination as i did when i was a kid and i can't i can't play it for hours and hours with pure imagination i can still sit down and be like okay i'm gonna put an hour to, to the side and i'm gonna just create one show and i've have my own super show and then maybe go back to it next week and go go again yeah man i know what you mean so before we wind things up here uh do you have any interest in this AEW Dynamite game coming out, or where have you heard anything about this? So, is the AEW Dynamite game the one that's by Dukes that's coming out on the PlayStation, possibly? I believe so. Yeah, that's. I haven't heard a ton about it other than Kenny Omega saying it's going to be like an essentially an homage to this era of game that we're talking about. So, if they can do that, I am one hundred percent in. The only thing is, is like I'm not really up on the video game world, so. When Fire Pro Wrestling came out about two or three years ago, my mate was like, Adam, you need this game. You need to play it. So I was like, right, I'm going to get it. And I got it. And I was like, I, I'm terrible at it, one. <laughs> and two, the graphics support. I wouldn't mind if the graphics support if I could play it all right. But I was just terrible at it. And I was like, oh, I can't believe I've spent... I, I, had, I had the same experience with it. Um, where it was just like, it was almost too much of that creative imagination freedom that we were just talking about. Where... It, would, it almost felt like Minecraft of wrestling, where I'm like, I really am going to have to put in, like, 40 hours just to set up the roster and what I want, and then I can, like, start to have fun. So, that one never... I remember, so I cut you off, I remember being sat in the break room at work at 15 minutes, and this is before I got the game, and you could download all the wrestlers to your PlayStation account. So, when I first got it, I opened it, and there was all these wrestlers in there, but I remember this is, so before I even got it, I was so excited to play it. I was just downloading all these wrestlers. Okay, click download, click download, click download. And then once once it finally came around to playing it, I probably spent more time downloading wrestlers than I did actually playing the matches. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think, like with a lot of things in wrestling, you would know as a longtime fan, a lot, like, I feel like sometimes they just need to simplify it. And when it comes to these games, like these 2K games have been so shitty for so long. Yeah. And you just need someone with Omega's mentality of like, Let's just go back to what worked in the 90s and then we'll use the new technology to just make it look better and run smoother and just take what works and build it. Like there's no reason that No Mercy format or uh, any of these for like the things that are working wouldn't work still today. And and that's a kind of another part of why I'm really excited for it because I missed that era of N64 games and I never got to play them. So if they can recreate that now in 2021 2022 whenever that game will come out and give me i don't care if it's modern wrestlers and they don't have a downloadable community customs mode even i'll, I'll play with the modern roster like if i can relive what everyone else lived sorry i'll be living it for the first time but if i can relive your childhood and it's everyone else's experience of playing these games i would absolutely love that yeah yeah that would be awesome man well from here, we're just playing Fantasy Booker in our minds, so I think we've come to the end of the podcast. And thanks for coming on and doing this, man. No worries, man. And uh, did you have anything you want to plug, anything you want to put out there? I don't know how many listeners will be listening, but might be worthwhile. Uh, I guess just uh, everyone check out my YouTube channel. I did a lot of wrestling vlogs when I went to WrestleMania 30, 31, 32, and 33 been doing a lot of pokemon unboxing recently just because it's something that you can do during the pandemic you don't need to leave your house for it 
Uh, I vlogged going to a comedy show recently at the Frog and Bucket, so that might be oh, yeah. a value for comedy people. But uh, yeah, just uh, check that out if you want to, and if you don't, then uh, go fuck yourselves. Did you just put Adam Anwar on YouTube? That's it. Uh, Anwar thinks. Anwar thinks. So awesome. A n w a r t h i n k s. Okay, awesome. And as always, guys, you can follow me at Funny Jordan D. I'm pretty sure that's it. I, I'm pretty bad at this, though. And uh, shout out to Lucille Moriel for producing these things. I uh, couldn't do it without you. And Easily Music. At Easily Music is our intro and outro. If you need video game related music made. Guys, this has been another episode of Game of Your Life. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, we'll see you then.